Before we get started today, I have a listener to thank for a donation. Sawson Aladad sent us a donation via PayPal. Thank you so much, Sawson, for supporting The Messy Studio. If you're listening to this and you would like to donate to The Messy Studio, just go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the Donate button. It's a yellow button in the upper right-hand corner that says Donate, and there you can set up a single-time donation or a recurring monthly donation for literally any amount. So that's www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the Donate button, and we will, of course, thank you on the show, just like we did for Sauce and Aladad. So once again, thank you so much, Sauce and Aladad, for your generosity. All right, on with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about abstracting with feeling. Abstract artists may be imagined by the general public as uninhibited people, slapping paint down in direct response to their emotions. But that stereotype is ridiculous in several ways. While many abstract painters do aim to express emotion and mood, their approaches vary widely, from spontaneous to highly controlled. And even the most intuitive artists need to thoughtfully consider their use of the visual elements and design principles. Today we will look at painting abstractly as an expression of emotion, mood, remembrance, and other states of mind. With me as always is Rebecca Kroll. Hello everyone. So today we have another topic that was suggested by um, Canadian artist Anne Jackson. And uh, she wrote, and I'll quote, I'd be curious to hear a podcast on abstracting one's internal experience. Um, And then she says, for me, color is the element that has always touched me. And while my current work is somewhat cerebral and an exploration of color, uh, my intention is very much based in emotion as well. And I really loved Anne's question. It's very interesting um, because when you look at her work, you don't see what you might expect if she told you that her work was emotionally uh, based or that that was a concern. You wouldn't see gestural marks um, and that sort of thing that we might associate with that um, sort of approach. Her work is quite formal. It's the subtle, transparent layers of color. She said cerebral. Um but the color is the visual element that she's exploring in an emotional way. Um, and it really, it really raises an important point because when we think of um, emotionally based abstraction, we do tend to think of painters like the abstract expressionists, the very name says it, who were um, painting in the late 50s and 60s, those big, you know, bold canvases, brushwork, huge scale, you know, lots of contrast. And we sort of think of that as the epitome of this emotion-based work, but maybe they're just the most obvious. Um, And it's not always necessary that you have this sort of spontaneous gestural work when you're expressing emotion. Maybe we sort of think that's how it should be done, but um, if we do, we fail to really see or understand work that's actually a lot more subtle um, in its effects and has a different emotional tone to it. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure we thank Anne too, because um, to me, th- this seems like a topic that we've kind of overlooked. Um, we've talked a lot about abstracting from uh, from the world around us or even 
uh, spontaneous abstraction, but we haven't really talked about abstracting from our own internal world or mm. um, our own internal feelings. Um, and in some ways, that's as as we've talked about in the intro with abstract expressionism. That's the most obvious kind of abs- of abstraction, um, and uh, it's something that we really should have talked about before now. Um, but I think it's a topic that's hard in a lot of ways. It's hard to just define it. And it's hard to understand our own emotions because our own emotions are complex. Um, and uh, expressing them through our art is more complex in a lot of ways. And then being able to describe that emotion and say that's what is being depicted here is yeah. um, is, is hard to identify even. So um, it's it's there's a lot of struggles in this topic to to really pin it down, especially in an audio format. Yeah, thank you for that challenge, Anne. <laughs> We're going to do our best here. Um, it is hard because, you know, as I mentioned with the abstract expressionist, it's sort of an obvious um, kind of um, yeah, the obvious kind of emotion. Like you could picture somebody painting that way. Uh, with energy and, you know, just kind of a direct channel to some kind of uh, strong emotion. But a lot of the emotions that we feel in a lot of our inner experiences are much quieter. They're more subtle. They're complex. They may involve uh, dualities. Sometimes we feel great. Sometimes we don't, you know. And how do you how do you sort of get to this um, this inner experience in a way that is expressive Um and there's a really a whole world of artwork that you might not see it initially as emotional, uh, but you dig a little bit deeper, maybe try to enter it with your own feelings and start to connect with the artist. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to say that any work of art is without emotion. I mean, the artist was moved to do it. And so finding that connection point, um, it can be, it's it's a little bit harder work, I would say, than something that's that's very obviously emotional. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I'm not even sure what artwork without emotion would look like. It's kind of like what music without emotion would sound like. I'm not I'm not sure that it would be anything. Right. It it's it seems like some aspect of that is is what moves people to make their work. So even if they're very restrained in what they do. Um, you know, I guess we can sort of assume it's there somewhere. <laughs> right. I guess maybe the kind of thing that would be generated by like an artificial intelligence or something, maybe you could mm-hmm. you could say, well, that's art without emotion. But um, Yeah, that's that's interesting because actually one of the topics early on that we did with Cold Wax Academy, um, Jerry played two selections of jazz music and one of them was randomly generated and one of them was uh, you know, real jazz composition. And Initially, it was a little hard to tell the difference, and then when you listen to them, the the one that was you know generated by a computer, you know, it had this mechanical feeling to it. But it it really was a little bit hard to tell actually at first, and then you sort of pick up on it um, and realize no, there's no actual human emotion here. So um, I think mostly with painting, you know, unless it's extremely minimalist you're going to be able to find something something there um artist who comes to my mind and i know i've mentioned her before is agnes martin who painted um here in taos just a few miles from where i am right now and i've always been quite intrigued by her work and seen it in person 
they're very geometric. They're very spare, minimalist paintings. And um, they have some in the Harwood Museum in Taos. And they're in kind of a, a quiet setting. And you can go in there and just look at them. And I've done that numerous times. And one of the times that I went in early on, I looked at the titles that were on the wall. And I was surprised because the titles were things like love and friendship, and which seemed to indicate emotion. And it's like she's almost presenting a a challenge with the titles to say, okay, how am I expressing these feelings in these paintings, which you might read as rather remote, but I painted them, I had these feelings. And then you start to look at them a little bit differently. Um, And it's kind of an interesting duality, I would say, there between the emotional title and the restraint of the piece, which is intriguing. Um, I think of things too, like, um, oh, like Gregorian chant music, which uh, I I enjoy listening to sometimes in the studio. And I know I'm not alone in that. It's a very meditative, um, quiet, solemn sound, but very moving somehow. It, it kind of um, connects... Uh, I don't know what the word is. It's sort of, there's a vibration to it that you can feel emotionally when you listen to it. And yet it's, you know, it's very kind of almost monotonous. There's not a lot of tonal changes in it. But it's very, I mean, to me, very solemn, very spiritual and emotional. So, Right, well, and that's a a style of music that is designed to generate a spiritual experience. mm Mm-hmm. And that's true for a lot of this more cerebral kind of artwork as well. Um, I kind of lump this kind of um, cerebral work in with the, um, well, the origins of abstraction with people like Hilma of Clint and um, Kandinsky were involved in spiritual movements. And their work can be, especially, um, oh, as people like Mondrian can be quite, feel quite remote. Uh, but has a spiritual basis. And so I, when I talk about this kind of uh, conceptual art, spiritual art, restrained art, it all kind of fits together. Minimalism, there's a similar kind of sense to it, that that there's more there than you experience when you first see it, maybe. You have to kind of cal- calm down, quiet down, and get into it. Um, the emotion isn't easy to read, and that... But that uh, I think that, that aligns with a lot of the way that people feel about their own or view their own emotions. A lot of people aren't very um, are, are rather restrained emotionally. They're not out there uh, saying exactly what they feel all the time. That's part of the human experience, I think, to to pull back on our emotions. And so we can sense that in some of this work. It's quite interesting um, and, and quite deep because. The surface stuff might be what you see. Um, it's more obvious in some painting. The quieter stuff, not so much. And I'm not saying that, you know, the more expressive kinds of work can't be deep. I mean, it certainly can be very moving. I I respond to a lot of abstract expressionist type work. Um, well, it is interesting how some work seems to be an expression of the artist of what they are feeling or experiencing and some seems like it is more uh created with more intention to 
create that feeling or that experience for the person who is uh, viewing the work. Hmm. A little bit of a remove or maybe like a distillation of their own feelings into something a little more universal. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, whatever way, you know, if you're the artist, whatever feels right to you. I mean, we all have a huge range of inner experiences that we work from. Well, and as as you often point out, what is what is personal is universal. So mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's no reason why those things need to be um, uh, in opposition to each other. Not at all. Uh, no. And it's it's achieving one will likely achieve the uh, the other. Um, but I think that there there is a sense of uh, intention that is important. Um, and I, I think that uh, the what the artist is trying to achieve is mm. relevant. It absolutely is. And it 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 gets it, you know, it gets down to what you as a person feel most comfortable with or or you feel says the most of what your own experience is. Um, and it, it, you know, it's absolutely part of personal voice, how much you, um, how much you want to be gestural and emotive and spontaneous and how much you want to be a little more restrained or cerebral. Um, these are personality uh, traits and letting them come through in your work is important. Maybe I, I think that point about the more personal, the more universal is, is important because I think sometimes if you're if your own tendency is to be more restrained in your work, you wonder if you're communicating yourself. You wonder if you're um, communicating whatever um, aspects of your own personality you would like to come through because it may feel too formal. It may feel too uh, in your head. And artists are often encouraged to uh, get out of their own heads and work more spontaneously and intuitively. And it always gets down to just finding this balance that um, suits you and feels expressive to you. And then you can pretty much trust that you will have people that tune into that. Do you feel that your, your own work has gotten more expressive or emotive with time? Um, actually probably less so (laughs) in a different way. I feel like it's more um, distilled somehow. It's, it's more filtered through, um, a more formal approach than I used to have years ago um, because somehow being able to use the visual elements in this, well, we, we say formal, it means focused on the visual elements as form, but also implies a kind of restraint, I think. But this kind of, yeah, stepping back a little bit suits me better the older I get, frankly, I mean, there's something about, about it that just, um, I like playfulness as well. And maybe I'm letting that in a little bit more too, in certain works, like my works on paper tend to be, um, more playful, more spontaneous, more intuitive. And then the paintings themselves, though, increasingly over time, more structured, more formal. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. I think that people do tend to mellow out with age, um, and uh, it, it doesn't surprise me that your work would would follow that kind of emotional trend. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but also, I, I think that when people are 
first learning, um, you know, typically they're younger and they, they want to emote more in their work, but they also don't have the tools to achieve what they're trying to achieve. And uh, typically there's, there's a learning period where uh, you don't emote in your work at all. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, you're working, maybe you're, you're just working based on photographs or, um, you know, in a musical instrument, you're just learning to, to play Yankee Doodle Dandy on the recorder. You know, I mean, how much can you really emote with that? (laughs) Um, you have to have the skills to emote. (laughs) Right, right. And so I, I, there's definitely... As you know, maybe you, you as you achieve the skills to emote more, uh, the desire to do so becomes less. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to sound like I don't admire a lot of really expressive gestural work because there is something beautiful about. I think it's what we were just talking about when somebody has a direct channel from emotion, and they have the skill to. Um, just express it very directly. It's it that too can be very profound and moving. Um, it's just a, it's a you know that ability to do that is is really uh, something. It's not easy. I mean, people people have to practice that and learn that <laughs> because there are so many aspects of painting spontaneously, and I think we have talked about them that you know our brains can get in the way. And have that kind of pure channel is beautiful. Um, so, you know, I personally don't think I have it that much. You know, I, I, it comes out in small ways in my works on paper. But when I approach the panel and the oil and wax and all this stuff, it's like I go into a different way of thinking and 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 uh, expressing. And it it feels, like I said, quite structured in a way. Um, and that, that works for those bigger pieces. So people may have different ways of working too, for sure. And I always think that's pretty healthy. Um, well, I, that, that flow state that you enter when you work, um, that sense of calm, I think does come through in, in your work. And that's, it's not that it, that it lacks emotion. It's that it's a different kind of emotion from that, that more vibrant expressionism. Right. That, uh, maybe we tend to think of as very emotional work. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. That that calmness is not, you know, it's not easy to express that. That does seem to be kind of a, a distillation of experience. Real quick, I want to tell you all about the latest news from Cold Wax Academy, the membership program that Rebecca and her partner, Jerry McLaughlin, have developed for online learning about cold wax medium. The learning at Cold Wax Academy goes beyond just cold wax and applies to all painting mediums and all aspects of enhancing your art practice. Winter Quarter starts in January and featured topics include texture, layering, and how to look at and talk about your art. There will be live online sessions, guest speakers, live critiques of member artwork, and opportunities to interact personally with Rebecca and Jerry. Right now, you can join Cold Wax Academy at 2020 prices and lock in that cost for the duration of your membership. For more information about membership levels and learning opportunities, visit www.coldwaxacademy.com. That's www.coldwaxacademy.com. All right, let's get back into it. So I guess I wanted to spend the the second half of the of the podcast talking about things to think about. If you know, if you're drawn to this um, 
to expressing yourself emotionally in whatever way, uh, kind of tips or considerations to maybe open up that channel a little bit more, maybe make that work for you better. Um, and to think, I guess, starting with just the visual elements themselves as, as formal elements, any of them, you know, can be used uh, for this kind of inner experience abstraction, and they can all be used in subtle ways or bold ways. Um, Anne's mention of color being important to her, um, you know, struck me because, as I said in the beginning, it's color is one of the most direct emotional channels that we have to work with as artists. And there's sort of, I would say, some universal effects that certain colors and combinations have, like typically primary colors, like red, yellow, and blues have a sort of a cheerful, vibrant feeling to them, especially when they're used together in a primary color relationship. Um, earth colors can feel, you know, more somber, more quiet. Um, there's also a lot of you know, personal reactions that you can't exactly control. They're up to the viewer. I mean, some people might look at red and say it's cheerful and somebody else might say it's angry, you know, or, you know, some people love green because it reminds them of nature and feels peaceful and meditative. And somebody else might think, well, yeah, but I was in the hospital and the walls were painted green and I didn't like it, you know. We may have these associations <laughs> that... Everybody does that are, you know, really personal likes and dislikes. But as the artist, all you can do is, you know, what feels right to you, what's expressive to you. And it could be really subjective. Um, uh, even if you're thinking of a, a memory or something and there were certain colors of that memory, there might be other colors that f feel more like the memory. And that's that's that emotional connection. Um yeah, I think line also is for me. That's that's one that is, I think maybe perhaps even more expressive than color, um, or something that I just personally connect to. Well, that those two are really up there. I think as far as that immediate impact. Um, so mark making and line, yeah, and we talked about that um, uh, in a couple podcasts ago. There's so many nuances that you can bring out when you're when you're making lines, you know, the fragile line, the bold line, you know, the meandering right. line. <laughs> well, and I think that, you know, what you point out with color being somewhat subjective, I think if we ask our listeners to envision an angry line, I think we're all seeing the same line, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> right, think, right. Like we, it wouldn't we be. think of a calm line, <laughs> you, you, we're all seeing kind of a gentle waving line, you know, right? So Yeah, that's I, true. I think yeah. I think that that line really speaks to uh, something universal. It's it's uh, it's like a visual depiction of a vibration that we can all sense. Yeah, no, that's that's really an interesting point. I think you're right because somehow we have a lot of personal associations with color, but um, yeah, like a really thin, controlled line is probably not going to express anger to or you know something vibrant or anything it's just kind of very calm and meditative line uh yeah interesting um scale is another aspect of work that has a lot of emotional impact i think and and whether it's you know kind of a big imposing work which could be either very calm or very active uh, or these you know maybe a very small work that was kind of intimate and um 
involving you at a, a very close-up level can feel very personal. And I, to me, um, I don't know if we've done a podcast just about scale, but it is an intriguing aspect of work to me. And I notice how often when artists post their work on social media, they don't tell us the scale. And sometimes you can sort of tell, but a lot of times you can't. And when you see the work in person, the scale has such a huge impact uh, as to how you view it, and especially if it's at either end of the extreme, you know, like middle-sized paintings or works of art may not impact you that way, but a large work or a very small one absolutely has um, an emotional impact from that size alone. Yeah, I think that we've talked about scale maybe just in connection with something else. I'd have to look back at mm. our previous episodes, um, but it's it's certainly a topic I think that we could revisit. Mm-hmm. And, and texture, I know we've talked about texture is another pretty impactful element um, when you're talking about expressing emotion, whether it's very smooth and calm or whether it's chopped up and active and um, aggressively worked has, you know, a lot of ways of expressing emotion because I don't know what it is about texture. I think it reminds us of stuff, like it reminds us of maybe a weathered um, object and and there's a lot of emotional associations with that or a very smooth and, and fragile object or something. And so te- uh, texture, sometimes people get a little carried away with it because it's sort of fun to make it, you know. <laughs> but thinking, uh, considering what emotion it's it's aiming at is important. And, um, and what that emotion is for you that you're trying to convey. But I guess... The point of all that sort of is you you can't really control the viewer's response, but you you can sort of set the stage, and with some visual elements more than others, maybe. Um, but when you're working with these kind of inner states of mind and emotion, I feel like it's better to not try to dictate it, to not be contrived about it, but sort of there's a there's a point where you're just being evocative and you're suggesting and you're you're setting the stage for someone to come into it um i i feel like as a viewer i personally don't like to feel like i'm being manipulated by the artist to say this is how you you must read this painting like it's sort of overstated um we we as people tend to guard our own feelings a little bit and i think with sensing that the artist is guarding their own feelings a little bit and just allowing you to uh, interpret in your own way is is just more inviting somehow. And I often I often see this in people starting out, like the the need to sort of dictate and overstate and and let let us as viewers know exactly what's going on here. <laughs> it it can be uh, hard to appreciate actually. It seems like uh, counterintuitive. It's like the more you say it, the more your viewer may sort of back away and go, oh, okay. <laughs> um, anything that's sort of overly, you know, like if it's too sweet or it's too aggressive or it's too morose or whatever it is, I think it pushes the viewer away. Kind of, want, They want a little distance <laughs> from that. Um, well, much in the same way that somebody who is – overly emotive and personal interactions may may drive people away from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot the same. And so 
you think of the person you you meet somewhere and you know they they're smiling they're they look like they might would be interesting to talk to but they're not telling you their whole life story immediately you know so it's like you know and you start to just enter into a little bit of a conversation and start to draw them out or they draw you out and it's good to have a sense of mystery about you yes and a, and, a, and a sense of conversation as well that you have something to say as well as the artist and you don't have to be you know lambasted with what they're trying to tell you um, and this kind of subtlety um, is <laughs> Jerry and I both use the word sophistication as a good thing at work and we've had our students say what do you mean by that you know <laughs> but i think it is that that slight holding back that slight um allowing uh, uh, respecting the viewer actually allowing the viewer to have something to say as well <laughs> um and just uh yeah a little restraint i guess um always with any of this that you're doing um and I, we mentioned this briefly at the beginning, but it's worth bringing up again, at least briefly, is that you, even though you're working from your inner experience and you've got a lot behind it, you do need to be able to look at your work objectively and make sure, you know, it's working. The visual elements are working, the composition. Um, step away from that subjective part um, for other, to try to see what other people are seeing. Um that is really important and it's again it's another thing it's it's easy to lose track of that when you are um so involved in your own work to to be able to self-critique and just you know really help sometimes just put it aside for a little bit come back to it what is there something that's just not working and you you loved it when you did it but it's not working now <laughs> um and the other i guess something to say too about this motivation behind this type of work it's easy to self-doubt it it's easy to second guess it question it um am i being too too revealing am i you know opening myself up to something by trying to paint from my inner reality whatever that is um it's so connected with personal voice it's so uh connected to your intuition and so trying to trust that, and, and again, there's so many of these balancing acts. You, you trust it, but you don't want to overstate it. Give, giving a little, a little insight into you through your work is a good thing. Um, and sometimes you have to be brave and say, um, and a little bit vulnerable, say, you know, I'm going to reveal something here. Um, if people are receptive to it, they may see something that I'm not sure I want to show. <laughs> Um, but that point where you're feeling a little unsure, sometimes that's a real portal. That's, um, you know, being willing to push forward when you are sensing something emotional. Um, you may, you may have the impulse to pull back, but on the other hand, maybe that's, uh, says, Hey, go forward. You can do it in a somewhat restrained way. If that's, if you're not the kind of person who's going to be really open, um, but you can go forward and explore that. And really, if you don't, um, then it can become a block or, you know, a problem. So sometimes, you know, like this year has been difficult for people. Maybe there's some pretty negative emotions going on that you may think, oh, that's not right. I don't want to, I don't want to show that in my work. It's not pleasant. It's not appealing. 
um, but that function of art as personal voice, I think you have to listen to that. Yeah, a lot of times there's there's something that you just need to get out, you know. And I I would caution people though that to make work that is all of a single emotional kind of energy. I mean, if you make if you make things that are that are purely positive and like it's going to come off as disingenuous, you know, cuz nobody really has right. a completely you know, just overly positive experience of life. But at the same time, if you create work that is oppressive and negative, um, it's, uh, it's going to be very difficult for people to have that work be a part of their life. And it's going to be difficult for you as the artist too, to just be living in that space (laughs) for the entire time that you're creating that work. Uh, so I, I, you need to find kind of a happy middle ground, but I, I would encourage people to, for your own benefit and for your viewer and for your success as an artist, um, try to try to push positivity a little bit more than negativity. We have enough negativity in the world, and and we need to to point out that neg- that negativity at times and and bring a, shine a light on it. Mm-hmm. But there's also there's always something positive that can be expressed in every situation, no matter how negative. And I, I think that our podcast is actually a really great expression of how to tread that middle ground because we don't shy away from negativity on this podcast. But we also we always want to feel leave the listener feeling uplifted and um, like they have hope. Yeah, I th- that's a really good point. And from, you know, I can think of a lot of paintings even throughout art, art history that would show something tragic or negative um yet there's something else there there's something moving there's something hopeful there's something beautiful um even if it's just recognizing that people suffer and you know feeling compassion sometimes work that is that is very negative overall has a has that going back to that idea I said about kind of being hit over the head with something it feels very um sort of dictating to you what to feel about something if it doesn't have that other aspect and that other aspect um it may be a little bit harder to access the more positive the the spiritual the hopeful the resonant or something but going back uh to something we've often I think mentioned in the podcast is the idea of dualities. And so that fits in with what you were saying as well, that things are rarely just one thing, you know? (laughs) I mean, even as we're feeling maybe really excited or happy about something, there may be a part of us that's a little bit afraid of it or a little bit worried. Um, And as we're feeling really worried and afraid, there's also part of us feeling a little hopeful. So (laughs) we're so complex, you know, and it, I think that, you don't have to spell this stuff out. You don't have to decide how you're going to express it, but a holistic approach to your work where you, you allow things in is, I guess, what we're both saying. Um, and you don't have to illustrate it. You know, you just, you just let it come through. <laughs> That's where it gets right. really hard to explain. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you want to see what this kind of work looks like, um, I, I think religious iconography oftentimes um, has this melding of, mm-hmm. of positive and negative experiences and mm-hmm. and tragedy uh, aligned with hope. Right. A um, lot of the Renaissance paintings and things um, 
have that they have a sort of a spiritual glow to them but there's there may be something bad depicted um and you you see it in contemporary art as well um it's just uh it's i guess that word holistic comes through it's it's just we we're not the same from day to day our emotions are not the same from day to day and almost any experience looks different to us from day to day one day we may be very upset the next day we have a little hope um and so allowing that that complexity into your work is i think it's important and i guess the last point i wanted to make um you kind of touched on it a little bit there and what you were saying emotions and feelings relate to um to your actual practice in the studio as well you you can't just crank out emotionally resonant paintings you know so if you if you start to feel that you're not connected with your work emotionally that's that's kind of a red flag i mean i think you have to check in with your feelings your feelings about the work itself not what you're expressing but or not the final result of what you're expressing, but as you're doing it, do you feel involved? Do you feel connected or you're kind of bored or distance or overly technical or formulaic or something? Because that's that can happen. And then you lose that emotional thread. Um, you have to keep your own work to you, fresh, interesting, personal. Um, and that that's where it starts, right? Well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Um, I would just say that making paintings that connect with your own feelings and your inner experience um, and also connect with your viewers can be very challenging. So much stands in our way. There are real challenges to this in terms of overthinking, um, shielding our feelings even from ourselves, uh, settling for sort of half measures when we could be pushing visual elements like scale and color and mark making to be more expressive um, or to pulling back a bit if we're if we feel like we need to do that to refine um, to be a little mysterious as you said <laughs> uh, so I don't know if we've been able to explain any of this because it, it is really hard to talk about um, it's it's sort of meandering, but um, I think it's a it's a really uh, something a lot of people are very interested in who paint abstractly to find that point where it's right for you. You're getting something to the viewer, and you don't have to be following certain rules in your head about what is expressive and what isn't. That may be there because we're sort of trained that way. In talking about abstraction all right well that just about wraps up this episode of the messy studio for more from the messy studio please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list you can also find the messy studio on facebook as well as public profiles for both rebecca kroll and myself ross tickner for more from rebecca kroll please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and cold wax academy at www.coldwaxacademy.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.